Um, you know, the world, we don't know what to do with someone that leaves. Now, when someone descends, we celebrate that. Like, if you're at a football game and, and uh, you know, someone lands on the 50-yard line with a parachute, we're like, yeah, you know, or a guy lands on a net in the desert, and we all celebrate, you know, he didn't die, yeah, he's alive. But when someone leaves, we're like, what do I do with that? It's like, it's kind of sad. It's like being in an airport and seeing someone fly off, like they're never going to return or something. And, you know, we don't really know how to process that. It's better to celebrate when someone has arrived, you know. But when someone leaves, they only sort of exist in our memory. You know, in the Christian calendar, we have Christmas, we celebrate Jesus' birth. We, of course, celebrate Easter and the resurrection. But when it comes to the ascension, that kind of gets forgotten. But without the ascension, you don't have the power of Easter or the birth. I mean, it's all part of God's plan. It's all part of God's story, of God's redemptive act um, in creation. And so without the ascension, you know, you wouldn't have the reason to really even celebrate. Because the ascension happened, all authority is bestowed on Jesus. Because the ascension happened, power is then given to us, to believers, and because the ascension happened, we have a real reason to celebrate. And Luke records this in the book of Acts. He wrote the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 1. Luke records this after Jesus is resurrected. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, locally, in Judea and Samaria, outwardly, and then to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven, a reference to the second coming. So the first is that the ascension bestows authority on Jesus. It bestows all power and authority and might on him, a dominion over all, all creation, all the universe, all that is, all that possibly could be. But I have to ask myself, what, did, what would happen if the ascension never happened? Like if it never occurred, would it matter? And of course it would matter. Because without the ascension, that means there's no enthronement of Jesus as king. He would not be enthroned. Um, as he is. Without the ascension, there's no Holy Spirit. There's no power given to believers. And without the ascension, it essentially means no church because the church was born at Pentecost, right? And without the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, the church would never have been born. So the ascension is a key work that Jesus knew he was going to accomplish um, because once he was physically ascended bodily, he's outside of space and time at this point. He's outside of the world in which we live. He's no longer constrained by um, space and time. So he's essentially, he's, he's, got a, he's a cosmic authority above all that is and all that will ever be. Because if Jesus had stayed and not ascended, he would just be another king, right? He'd just be another earthly king. He'd just be another guy on a throne with a scepter or something. But he's not. I mean, if he was, if he had stayed, he'd be like, in Jerusalem or something, and millions of people would be like gridlocked around Jerusalem trying to get a picture of Jesus, I guess, or he'd have like a news network channel or something so everyone could hear from the king. But that's not, he said, my kingdom was never going to be like that. My kingdom was never going to be what you expected it to be. It was much, much bigger, more expansive than that. Jesus told Pontius Pilate that in John chapter 18. 
when he said to Pontius Pilate, well, and starting in verse 33, the day before Jesus is crucified, he's on, on his trial, if you will. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again. He summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Any, even while Jesus is about to be crucified, he's still probing the intent of a man's heart. He's still ministering to the guy that could kill him. He's still saying, do you ask this? Or are you just repeating what other people have said? He wants to see, do you believe this, Pontius Pilate? Even at the, what, what grace is this, right? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom are from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king. You say that I am a king? For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. So because he's ascended, his kingdom is not of this world. He's beyond space and time. He's a cosmic king over all of creation. And we repeat it in the Apostles' Creed, right? He ascended into heaven. He sitteth at the right hand of Father Almighty. The right hand is the place of authority. The right hand is the place of power. It's the place of greatness. It's the place of greatness. You know, greatness is never, is never taken. You can't demand greatness and respect and really get what you're looking for, right? In order to receive greatness, it has to be given to you. If you demand respect, if you demand greatness, it's like smoke in a bottle. It's really ego. It's illusory. You're, you're demanding something that, that you're not going to get that way. You're only going to get greatness when it's given to you. See, respect and greatness, it's, it's, it is given when it's not demanded. When the respect is demanded, it's never given. The first to be last, the last to be first. The proud will be humbled, and the humble will be exalted. And Jesus was the most humble man who ever lived, fully fulfilled the will of the Father, and he was elevated to the place of all creation and lordship over all that is. God gives true authority, not public opinion, not people. God causes rulers to rise and to fall. Jesus never demanded his authority, but was a perfect lamb of God, and then the Father bestows on him all power and authority. This is one of the most fascinating things I'm getting ready to read, is that in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, written between 530 and 536 B.C., 600 years roughly before Jesus' life, Daniel records a vision he has, many, he had many visions, of the throne room of heaven. He sees the Father sitting on the throne. It's a, and then he, sees, he says, someone like a son of man came on clouds. I'll read it to you. Like if, if Acts chapter 1 is the prequel, Daniel 7 from 600 years before is the sequel. John Wesley accurately interpreted this as the post-ascension Jesus that Daniel was seeing. Isn't that crazy? Daniel 7, I saw one like a human being coming into, with the clouds of heaven. So just as Jesus goes in clouds, here, here Daniel sees him coming in the clouds. And he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall never be destroyed. So because of this ascension, he, all power is given to Jesus. But before he ascends, the disciples ask a very important question, a question that you and I would probably ask too if we were in that 
position that they were in that day, I would probably ask this as well. And the kingdom was this. And the question was this. Lord, is this the time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, will, now that you're resurrected from the dead, now that you did all that, are you going to fix all of our problems, right? This is the, the real question. Are you going to solve my internal conflicts? Are you going to sol- solve our external conflicts that we have as a people? Are you now going to make everything new? Are you going to fix everything now? Are you going to get rid of Rome? Are you going to get rid of the occupiers? Are you going to fix all the fighting, right? A, that's a legitimate question they ask him. And his answer is sort of a mini rebuke. It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times that are set apart for those sort of things. But his answer is different than what they expect. He says, you will receive power. And now Luke already said that in verse four. He said it a few verses ago. Whenever they repeat stuff, it's for emphasis. He's saying, I will not do it in the way that you expect, but I'm gonna give you myself. I'm gonna give you my spirit. I'm gonna give you power. I'm gonna give you power in your life to do these things that you think you can't do. You know, so the ascension allows power to all believers. Now, Jesus gives a stunning promise in John uh, 14, 12. Stunning, stunning promise. He says, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these. Emphasis on because I am going to the Father. So because of the ascension, those that believe in Jesus can do even greater things than he did. Not that we're greater than he is, but we can do greater things because of the power of the Spirit in our lives. So we ask, now God, now are you going to fix all my problems? Now that you're ascended, will you fix my internal problems? Will you fix me? Will you just make it all go away? And his answer to us, even in our anxiety, is I will give you myself. I will be with you in your internal and external struggles. I will give you power. The word power is the Greek word dunamis. It's the word we get our word dynamite. Yeah, I will give you dynamite for your souls. I'll give you explosive power. Now, how is that power exhibited? How do you see it? What does it mean? Like, what does it look like, right? To the apostles, the power it was exhibited, as we see in Acts, as just boldness, fearlessness. Like, not out of anger, not out of insurrection, but just complete, total boldness. Even the secular world was like, aren't these just common fishermen? And the words they're saying are just so powerful. We have to at least acknowledge that maybe what they're saying is true. So like that's the exhibition of the power of God in their lives. They couldn't deny it. But they weren't exhibiting the power by picketing or boycotting or canceling people out or shaming people or organizing or using politics. That's all tactics of Caesar, the world, the flesh. He's saying the power of God is exhibited as fruit in our lives, like stuff that people can actually see and tangibly interact with. And when they see it and hear it and feel it in your life, they go, you have what I don't have. How do you do that? You're so calm right now in the midst of some like craziness or whatever. Galatians 5:22, Paul reminds you, all of you have heard this if you've been in church a while, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit, the power of God birthed in our lives can look like this. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Now, this was revela- 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 revelationary for me this week. When I looked at the word fruit, is the word fruit singular or plural? He didn't say fruits. It's fruit, it's singular. He's essentially saying it's all on one vine. It's not like, well, today I really uh, was really loving to my family, but man, I sucked at faithfulness. I'm just... It's not like one or the other going on here. It's like, you know, I really was generous to my church, but then I went home and ate a whole pint of ice cream and no self-control whatsoever. It's not, it's like either you got it, either you're, it's, it's, it's exhibiting all in your life or none. It's like, it's all one vine. It's all the same. It's not like you can pick one or the other, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I've, we all have times in our lives where the fruit is just not, I don't feel like it's there, <laughs> especially when I'm driving on the interstate or something and people drive like they're in Too Fast, Too Furious, like they're in a video game or something. They're just like cutting around. They're they're just river dancing on my last nerve. They're just jumping all over my only nerve left. And and I'm like, I don't feel loving or peaceful or patient at all right now. But those are the moments, though, that you have to stop and you have to pray. You have to repent. And you have to say, God, I receive your grace. I'm sorry. Forgive me for that. Help me to grow in grace, to grow with that fruit in our lives. So when we ask God, now, Lord, now that you're ascended, are you going to fix all your problems? Are you going to make our internal and external struggles go away? Are you going to fix me? Are you going to fix my life? And the answer is, his answer is yes. I will bear that fruit in your life. Because if I give you myself, I will lead you in love. And because I'm leading you in love, I will, you will grow in joy. And because you're growing in joy, you'll be growing in patience. And because you're becoming more patient, you'll become more kind. And because you're becoming more kind, you'll actually be more generous with your time and your talents and your witness. And because you're becoming more generous, you'll become more faithful. It's one after the other after the other, all blooming simultaneously or they're not. And the church today is looking at a hurting world and people are looking at us and they need what we got. They need the gospel. They need people. They need Jesus in their lives. And they're looking at us and they're going, prove it then. Show me something, right? Like the disciples had. Can I see it in your life? And then maybe I'll start to believe. Because people today will look around, they'll look at even a guy like me and they'll go, okay, well, do you believe it? Because if you believe it, then maybe I will. Because if it's authentic, then it's the best major way the church has always presented the gospel is just through your life, through your testimony. That's historically the way we've done it. When other people see the transformed work of the Spirit of God in your life, the power of God at work in your life, that is the way that the, the world more and more begins to believe. Because I'm learning more and more, it's not just about what people say, it's what they do that shows their beliefs. People talk a good game today. A lot of people get on Facebook, go on rants, and, you know, you've got those friends. <laughs> they'll just go, go off on some sort of topic, and, and then, although I look at their life, I'm like, that doesn't really back up what you just said, but, you know, the, like, the fruit is not just words. The fruit is your actions. That shows what you actually believe. And so, it's not just what you say. It's you have to watch what people do. Wisdom, as Jesus said, is proved right by her actions not just your words. See, when I was young, or the outside world too, looking at the church, you think that the power of God of your, in work in your life is like what you don't do, right? It's like, 
power of God at work in my life? Well, I'm, I'm not getting drunk. I'm not getting high. Uh, I'm not a sexual deviant. I'm trying not to cuss. The cops didn't chase me. I'm doing great, right? In full confession, I'm ticking all those boxes right now. And maybe most of you are too. But what about the power? What about the power? I've been praying lately, God, give me what they had. Because if we're serious about believing this stuff, I want, to, I want to experience the miraculous, right? Amen? You want to experience the power of God at work in our lives. I want to see that. I want to hear, feel the walls shake. I want to see stuff that I never could have imagined when the Lord is at work. Like, I want to see the miraculous at work. And when we ask God to do these things, he'll do it because of the power of the Spirit. He said, I'm going to give you myself. I'll do the heavy lifting in your midst. That's what the world needs to see. To experience the power of God so profoundly, so deeply, that people have to go, wow, there's something up with you that I can't put my finger on. But without the ascension, it's just not possible. But because the ascension happened, it is possible. As Jesus said, all things are possible to those who believe. If you simply even ask anything in his name, we can do it. And it's probably not just a one-time ask. It's probably like a repeated seeking and praying over things. It could be weeks, months, years of praying for people or situations or whatever. But the Lord says, I will do the things that you ask me to do if you continue to persist in those prayers and, and, and calling upon me. So lastly, the ascension is a call for celebration. A call for celebration, of course. Because we celebrate when people come in the atmosphere and they land on a net in the desert or they land with a parachute, they do something cool. But the ascension is actually called for the greatest call for celebration. Now, probably the, the best example of that, we have had many astronauts go up and down through the atmosphere over the years, of course. Of course, in 1969, when the Apollo 11 went up and they were trying to land on the moon, NASA was internally knew they all might die. You know, we know that now. Because anyone that goes in those sorts of missions, you could easily die. It's a very dangerous undertaking. And actually, President Nixon asked his speechwriter to write an, a, a secondary speech in case the astronauts didn't make it. And, and what was going to happen was Nixon would read his speech on TV. They would, the radio communications with the moon would be cut off, and the astronauts would be left alone to die. And then a minister would go on TV and, and give like a, a, you know, a blessing, basically, leaving them from the deep unto the deep. So they were ready for that, but it didn't happen. On July 20, 1969, with, with less than 30 seconds of fuel left, the lunar module landed on the Sea of Tranquility. They stepped off the ladder, and the rest was history. When they get back, they get the Presidential Medal of Freedom. There's parades. The greatest human accomplishment of technological achievement had just happened. Absolutely. But what Jesus has done makes that look like jumping across a puddle, right? Ascending into heaven, getting all power and authority from God the Father. What a celebration that we should be having. This is the culmination of what he has done for us because Jesus could have called legions of angels to rescue him at any time, but he didn't. He willingly obeyed God. He gave his life as a sacrifice. He defeated the devil. He destroyed death. He was returned in victory. And then the Father gives all authority to Jesus. 
Because all heaven celebrates right now with this victorious return of Jesus in heaven. The, the, the lamb who was slain, the lion who conquered, and they all say, all, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And lastly, this is a cause for celebration because it points to our future. The ascension points to our future after death for those that are in Christ. Look at these words from 1 Corinthians 15. I love what Paul says here. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, just as Jesus did. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and the mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, but the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we look at Jesus and we say, now, Lord, now are you going to fix everything? That day he'll say yes. Yes. But until then, his answer is, I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you power. I will be with you in your internal and external struggles. I will help bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. I will help unlock things in you that you never could have done on your own by what I can do. If you will simply give me your heart and your life in faith. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you indeed are the King of Kings, that you do reign over the heavens and the earth, and that if we put our whole heart and trust in you, you will give us power for living. You might not make the problem go away immediately, but that you will be with us in our trial, in our struggle. And I pray for anyone watching right now or here in person that does not know that hope of of yours in their life. With every eye closed, anyone here that knows they need Christ in your life, what I have been talking about, what you have felt in your heart as you've been hearing songs this morning, you know what you need is what he can give you. If that is you, will you raise your hand and simply say to God, I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you my life this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me with your power. Fill me with your peace. Change me, God. The good news, my friends, is that he will. He's done that for many other people in this room, for those watching at home, billions around the globe. He holds your life in his hand. He will never let you go. For he is the King of kings. The Father has given him all authority on heaven and on earth, he holds the keys to death and in, in, in hell and the grave. In Christ, there is nothing to fear, for he has conquered it all. And one day we will put on the imperishable, the immortal, all because of the grace he has poured out upon your life and my life. And I do pray, Holy Spirit, for you to seal this commitment in hearts this morning to confirm within them that they are sons and daughters of God.
children of love, redeemed by your blood. That is, that is true. Simply by faith, the confession of our mouth, and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. All praise and honor to you, God. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We lift our voices to you this morning.